Welcome to Broad Eye, the podcast that explores knowledge gaps in ophthalmology and eye care. Hello, everyone. I, uh, this is Dr. Bruno Fernandez. I'm here today with our guest, Dr. Kirk Adams. I mean, how's it going? It's going great. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to have you, uh, Kirk. So let's dive right into it. You can tell us a bit about your professional background and sure. how did you end up where you are today? Sure. So I, I am the president and CEO of the American Foundation for the Blind, and it's com we're commonly referred to as AFB. And we are in our centennial year. We're 100 years old this year, uh, founded in 1921, um, really to be a central nonprofit agency to use uh, research and data to identify the um, greatest barriers faced by people who are blind and uh, the, the greatest opportunities for inclusion. And AFB hired uh, Helen Keller in 1924, and she served as the brand ambassador, global brand ambassador for AFB until she passed away in 1968, and she uh, bequeathed her estate to us. So I, I, I will often, uh, throughout this conversation, uh, recommend people go to our website, afb.org, and uh, there you can find all of Helen Keller's archives digitized. It's, it's fascinating. Um, I came to AFB uh, five years ago. Uh, I am a blind person. My retinas both detached when I was five years old in kindergarten. I be, became totally blind very, very quickly. Um, at that time, kids went to schools for the blind. So I did go to a residential school for blind children in the state of Oregon for first, second, and third grade. Learned uh, how to read and write Braille and use a cane and type on a typewriter and uh, to, to be very confident as a young blind kid and uh, move, moving, moving through space and uh, climbing trees and skinning knees and doing all the things kids do. Uh, started public school in fourth grade, went through high school, college. Um, I have an have a undergraduate degree in economics, had uh, a very challenging time finding employment, as many uh, young blind people do. Uh, I Worked in uh, municipal securities, tax-free bonds for 10 years. Um, decided I didn't want to do that the rest of my life and made a decision to move into the nonprofit sector. Uh, entered through um, fundraising, became a, a professional fundraiser for a number of organizations uh, here in Seattle, Washington, where I am now. And was contacted by a, a blindness organization called Light Lighthouse for the Blind who uh, they, were, they were looking for a person to come and start their development program and their foundation. And they had heard there was a blind person in the community doing that type of work and asked me if I would come in and uh, take a look and would I be interested in talking about, about this position? I was, and I, I took that job in 2000 and uh, you know, progressively had uh, in increasing levels of responsibility and, and became the president and CEO of the Lighthouse for the Blind in Seattle in 2008. I served in that role for eight years. And then in the meantime, I had uh, gone back to school and got gotten a master's in not-for-profit leadership and started a PhD program in leadership and change. Uh, I was asked to join the um, board of trustees for the American Foundation for the Blind, which I did. And then after serving on the board for several years, my uh, predecessor announced that he was going to retire. 
urged me to consider putting my name forward. AFB hired a search firm, conducted a nationwide search. I uh, did, did put my name forward and it was off, offered the opportunity to become the sixth uh, blind uh, president of AFB over the 100-year history. I uh, joyously ac accepted this opportunity to, to lead the organization and uh, moved, moved to New York City in 2016 conducted a strategic planning process immediately, made a lot of big changes, um, moved the headquarters to the Washington, D.C. area where I then moved. And then as COVID uh, shut down our offices, my wife and I relocated back to our home in Seattle. That's a, uh, it seemed like you, you, you've like held multiple leadership positions on the on the companies and nonprofit organizations that that you worked for was it uh, by design like I mean were you aiming to be a leader in those organizations or it were kind of like happening by accident no it was very much by design mm -hmm. um, you know what like like I said I, I had a, a job um, first 10 years out of college that paid the bills and allowed me to get married and buy a house and have our children but it wasn't my passion. And uh, when I turned 30, I really did some soul searching. I actually got the book, What Color Is Your Parachute, out of the talking book and Braille library and, and followed all the exercises and directions and got clarity that I, I wanted to commit my professional career to creating opportunities for people who are blind. And the best way for me to do that was to be in the nonprofit sector and, and be in a leadership role with organizations that serve people who are blind. So that, again, that led me to going back for more education, getting that master's degree in not-for-profit leadership, and then uh, you know, the doctorate, which I've completed fairly recently in leadership and change. So I, le leadership is uh, of paramount importance, and I felt I could have the most impact and leverage um, if I was an effective leader, and uh, AFB is really the most iconic um, organization in the blindness field of the longest history and um, a very unique position in the field because we are not a membership organization like some of the other leading organizations, the Federation of the Blind Council of the Blind. We're a private nonprofit. We have a, an excellent board of trustees from across the country. And we just have a very broad charter which is improve the lives of blind people. And uh, that allows us the flexibility to decide at any given time where we're going to focus our, our resources. And right, right now we're very focused in the employment space as you know, seven out of 10 working age blind adults are not working. And uh, through our strategic planning process, we, we determine that if we can shift um, the, the landscape in employment, we, we can uh, address a, a lot of other issues. Um, that blind people face. So we're really looking at systems change, changing how um, dollars are allocated for training of blind people. How do employers, especially large corporations, view inclusion of people who are blind in their workforce? Um, how do blind people view themselves as um, potential employees, et cetera? Yeah, and so I figured that like that would be one of your main priorities, you not know, like uh, as the leader of of uh, uh, the American Foundation for the Blindness. And what I what I've noticed, like in the past, like I mean, through the friends I have that have 
any sort of like a vision impairment is that uh, it is it is quite limited. You no, know, like I mean, the options of employment that are offered, like I mean, for people with vision impairment, there's sort of like this uh, stereotypical job offering. Is you know, like I mean, things that they assume could be done by by mm. by them and other things that like probably shouldn't be ideal or or suitable for them. Right? Like basically, it is decided for them what they should be doing, yes. or the other way around. There are some uh, some assumptions that are made that are not based in fact. And so you you have not only like a, a, a firsthand experience being a leader, but you also have an educational background, right? I mean, so you did graduate programs like to become a leader. And yeah, and I, I you know I've also I've been a blind job seeker. I've been a person looking for employment and facing a lot of challenges and barriers. I've also employed blind people um, at the Lighthouse for the Blind. We employed about 250 people who are blind and deafblind and blind with other disabilities in a number of businesses, including uh, aerospace manufacturing, which was a very interesting set of career paths for people who are blind and deafblind. And then uh, you know, at AFB, about you know, a third of our employees are blind. So I've been a blind employee. I've also worked for large corporations. I worked for large banks. So I've been a blind job seeker, a blind employee, a blind an employer of people who are blind. So, you know, I, I have I do have kind of a unique set of uh, perspectives on on the issues around employment. And when you approach like those big companies, what do you think it's the main reason why they they don't hire like a mid by people and get? Is it because they're resistant to it, or they want it but don't know how? I'd say closer to the latter, they want it, but don't know how. I, I, I will say that, you know, we look at blindness and employment uh, from a strengths-based, uh, assets-based view that if you live as a blind person in your daily activities, you are gaining um, skills in areas that employers say they want. So you're gaining skills around uh, resilience, uh, around grit and perseverance, around being a creative problem solver, um, around um, putting teams together, uh, communication. So a lot of the skills that employers saying they're looking for in employees, um, the, the mere fact that, that you're living every day as a blind person allows you to develop a lot of those characteristics. So, so that, that's, that's really first and foremost, and that needs to be clear in the mind of the employer and the blind person. The, you're, bringing, you're bringing valuable skills and characteristics to, to the, the workplace of, as a person who's blind. And then I, I think really the, the next point is proximity. Um, we're a research-based organization. So we, we know from research that if a hiring manager or a department hires a blind person, they are much more likely to hire a, a second um, that, that, than you know, someone, someone who hasn't had the exposure to someone who, who's blind. So blindness is a low incidence disability. So many people have not had exposure to individuals who are blind, successfully employed blind people. So I, I, in my, my experience is that employers will, will often um, you know, project and think, and when I went in applying for jobs as a financial analyst, walking in with my white cane and my braille, you know, the employer sitting across the desk would think, you know, if I, if I woke up 
tomorrow and couldn't see, there's no way I could do this job. Um, so, so it's really, it's really valuable skill to have as a blind job seeker to be able to explain how you'll do the job, um, what tools you'll use, what techniques, what your successes have been. And, you know, you need to present yourself as a problem solver, not, not someone who's going to create, um, new, new issues and complications for the employer. I guess they, they see your disability through their own eyes and without taking mm -hmm. consideration that you've lived with that your entire life. So you basically adapted to it, right? So you right. That's your reality. Right. And I will say also blindness skills. So, you know, there's, there's, there's challenges for people who have some usable vision as opposed to, to my situation. Yes. Some, some things happen that put me in a position to, to have some successes. And one is I became totally blind right at the time I was entering school. So there was no question if I should learn Braille or not, if I should try to use magnification. Um, today it's, you know, should the child use magnification? Should they use, should they use recordings and artificial speech? Should they learn Braille? You know, my, um, my clear understanding is that if a child can't read at the same speed as their sighted uh, classmates, they need to learn how to read Braille. But it, it just wasn't a question for me because I was totally blind. So I learned how to read and write Braille. I had to learn how to use a cane. So I have you know, good orientation and mobility skills, good Braille skills. And again, research shows that um, people with good blindness skills are, uh, are more likely to be employed than people without, which I guess sounds pretty obvious. And some of the challenges come if you've lived as a sighted person and started work as a sighted person and then become blind while you're still in your work life, it's very, it's a, it's challenging to acquire the blindness skills that you need. It's a lot of hard work. Yeah. And talking back about the, the American foundation for the blind. And so about the priorities of the organization, I mean, we've sort of talked about education and employment already, but there is a third priority that it's on aging. And oh. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what exactly, you know, like, I mean, it, it tries to accomplish, like, I mean, on, on that uh, field. Yeah. Well, we're really looking at all of these things through the lens of employment. The, the areas are so vast, um, age, aging and vision loss. Are, there are so many issues. You know, the 60% of people who are legally blind are over 65 most people who are blind have become legally blind as part of the aging process. So, you know, 16% of people over 65 are, are visually impaired and 23% of people over 85 are visually impaired. So in order to um, kind of bite off a, a, a piece that we can chew, uh, we're looking at uh, aging and vision loss through the lens of employment. So, so again, people who are working um, become visually impaired, people tend to leave the workforce and not, not return. Uh, those who do return, you know, re research shows it's, a, it's an average of an eight-year gap between exiting the workforce and returning. So um, how do we first help employers and employees um, re retain that employment, understand what the accommodations and training needs are, um, so the person can stay in their job. If a pivot is necessary, how, how do they, how do they pivot, uh, stay employed, not exit the workforce. And then for those who, who have had to exit, how, how do, how do we shorten that return time? 
Um, and a lot of this is is very much driven by the need for for talent. Mm-hmm. People are working longer. Um, people are coming out of retirement. Employers. Um, every day you re- you read about the struggles for employers to to find to staff to find employees. There's a big battle for talent. And um, in our research, again, research shows us that blind people are the most highly educated, most underemployed, unemployed disability group, uh, if you look across disabilities. It's like an, an untapped, very valuable resource, right? For employers right. out there. <laughs> right. And how, how do we connect, you know, the, those, those two, yeah. the, the demand for talent, and then there's a supply of talent, and there's a disconnect. They're not, they're, they're not uh, connecting. There's not, a, a, there's not a nice set of pathways for, for blind people to, to move into these career paths that employers need to fill. And has 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 there been any any shift? I mean, so the the pandemic related like shift towards like more remote mm-hmm. uh, work has has it helped or make it made it harder for for the vision impaired to find jobs? <laughs> well, that's a that's a that's a great question. And um, again, if you go to afb.org, there mm-hmm. is a survey we did at the beginning of COVID called flatten inaccessibility and we had over 1900 uh, blind people respond which is a very good sample size so um, in the short term um, as people lost their jobs blind people lost their jobs at a a faster rate uh, than the general population and uh, you know over 20 percent of the people surveyed who are working remotely reported challenges, difficulties, barriers in working remotely, mostly because the technology that their employer was asking them to use was not accessible. Mm-hmm. So, so in the short term, it, it, was, it was problematic. People, people lost their jobs and, and people found it challenging to work virtually. Uh, time will tell our, our theory, which we'll, we'll need to prove over time, is that this is going to open up employment opportunities for people who are blind as virtual work becomes the norm. Um, when you survey um, employers and employees, uh, what, what are the two greatest barriers to successful employment of people who are blind? If you ask blind people, uh, it's always employer attitudes and transportation barriers are all, always yeah. vying for the one and two as far as the, the biggest barriers. So, so this can address two things that employer attitudes toward people working remotely is shifting, but uh, remote work also helps eliminate the transportation issues. Um, you know, 30, 35, 40% of blind people report that, that they've declined a job uh, opportunity because of a transportation issue that they, they couldn't get to the job site, couldn't, yeah. couldn't, couldn't get to work. So, so we, we do think in the long run, it's, it's going to help level the playing field and open up lots of opportunities. And we're excited to see how that unfolds. Yeah, I figure also like the, the workplace wouldn't need to be uh, accessible for, for them, right? They would work from home, which is, which is a place that they're already used to and they have adapted to their needs. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that um, you know. If people have decent O and M skills. I don't. I don't think it's navigating the job site once you get there. But the transportation is 
is, is the place, if you need to go to a physical place to work, is it accessible by public transportation? All right. And so there are many, right? A foundation for the blindness. You've worked for a few already. Uh, mm -hmm. What makes the AFB uh, such a unique foundation for, for each community? What makes it stand out, you know, when you compare that? To yeah, the... I, think, I think a couple things. One is the history. Um, again, we're, we're in our hundredth year. Uh, the, the second is the fact that most, most of the major blindness organizations have a, a somewhat narrow defined purpose. Uh, American Printing House supplies uh, learning materials. National Braille Press creates Braille. The Hadley Institute uh, does distance learning. Um, the Perkins School works with educating young people. Um, there are guide dog schools that do what they sound like they do. Uh, there are the two uh, membership organizations who are do do great work. Uh, they're there to you know fulfill the the needs of their members. So uh, a AFB is very unique in that we are not um, limited to. In fact, our tagline is no limits. So uh, we have no limits on on uh, what we can focus on uh, at any given time. So we've uh, we've done a lot of different things over the century. We, uh, in the 1930s, we pioneered the talking book. So worked with the recording industry to develop the 33 and a third uh, RPM long playing phonograph record specifically to record books for people who are blind. Uh, Helen Keller worked uh, specifically with Eleanor Roosevelt and, and President Franklin Roosevelt to obtain funding to start the National Library Service for the Blind. Uh, AFB got involved in engineering very early in the 40s and 50s and created some of the first talking um, um, aids, the first talking bathroom scales and first talking blood pressure monitors, things like that. Um, we've been involved in a lot of the landmark legislation in the U.S. Um, um, affecting people who are blind. Got a very involved in, in promoting Braille literacy at one point in time was, was kind of our, our mission. Um, so uh, again, each chapter, uh, AFB is able to decide where we can do the most good and have the most impact, you know, given the, the assets and resources we have. So when I came on board in 2016, we, we went through another strategic planning process, one, one, one of uh, many over the last hundred years and, and got clarity that we really want to do something uh, about changing these employment uh, outcomes. And to do that through working, uh, use, using research and data and, and working with decision makers and, and influencers to shift the landscape, the perceptions, the systems. And you, you mentioned a few devices and technology that were uh, developed by uh, FAB. Uh, mm -hmm. Are those things done in-house or do you collaborate with uh, other tech companies? Yeah, and... we, we had an engineer, very uh, robust engineering department. We had a tech center in, in uh in Chicago for many years. We um, don't um, do that anymore um, as corporate America has taken a lot of that on, which is great. So we kind of, we, we were involved in some of the pioneering work in, in assistive technologies. And then when um, companies like Apple and Google and Facebook and Microsoft began um, putting resource and effort into 
making their products and services accessible. That gave us some opportunities to do some partnering with what we've done. We have great relationships with, with the tech world. Little anecdote, we had, have a uh, blind gentleman named Darren Burton, who was um, part of our AFB tech staff. And um, he was, he's the first blind person to use uh, the built-in voiceover screen reader on, a, on an iPhone. So that's, uh, that's an AFB claim to fame. He, he was later hired away uh, by Yahoo. He's, he's back with us now uh, on a part-time basis. But uh, so, so AFB has been, in, been involved in technology and understanding that technology can really level the playing field if it's accessible. And it can also um, widen the digital divide if it's not accessible. If, if, if more and more technology is being adopted, that uh, blind people can't use that that just in, you know, inc- increases the barriers around communication and access to information yeah we 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 had a, a few guests already from from tech companies microsoft google and like mm-hmm. the apps like i mean made for the low vision community and uh, uh i mean of course besides the fact that you know like they do good by by making like the world more accessible what they also highlighted it's that like i mean it's a huge market you know, like, I mean, not only in terms of like I mean, employment, as we already discussed, but a uh, 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 consumer market as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, so it, it's a it's an opportunity in a way. You know, like, yeah. For them to well, it's a, it, it, you know, look, here. yeah, look at people with disabilities. You know, I was listening to um, recorded books as as a student uh, when you know no no one else in my classes was was listening to anything recorded. And then things like Dragon Dictate, you know, the, the first um, kind of software that you can speak to and, and do speech-to-text conversion. Now everyone's listening to devices, and everyone's talking to their devices. You know, it's be- it's become part you know, part of the norm. Yeah, the when we interviewed the lead for uh, accessibility for Microsoft in Canada, like he mentioned exactly that. Like sometimes tools there. Or are designed for people with uh, impairments end up being used by everybody else. Right? Like I mean, so we all nowadays listen to audiobooks, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, you know, a little example here in Seattle, we we have had 250 people in the workplace, mostly taking the bus. Many of them um, were not totally blind, but had low vision. So we worked with the Seattle Metro bus system to put larger bus numbers on the buses. And they, they did that. And uh, they, they told us they got more positive feedback from their riders uh, around that than anything else they, they'd done. You know, the larger bus numbers not only help people with low vision, it, it helped everybody. Yeah, true. And uh, um, things like uh, we adapted computer numerically controlled machining to make aerospace parts and we, we put a voice synthesizer um, jaws uh, on the machines to read out the instructions on the screen. And now they've built that into their off the shelf um, models because they find the reinforcement of the uh, sighted machinists, not only seeing the screen, but hearing it read makes for more accuracy. Uh, Kirk, as we, as we are heading to a wrap, are there any major uh, events that the FAB is organizing in the near future that you would like to share with? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So, 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 so a couple things. Yeah, a couple, couple things. So we uh, 
we typically have a leadership conference and we did not have it in person last year or this year because of COVID. We are planning to hold it in person next May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, again, you can go to afb.org, American Foundation for the Blind, afb.org, and sign up for our newsletter and get notified about the conference. And, and we also prepared some, I think, super high quality virtual content in celebration of our centennial. So if you go to afb.org slash 100, there are some panel discussions. Uh, there's a uh, virtual gala. There are um, some conversations around uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, around resilience. So some really great content that's available free, free for everybody. That's very uh, interesting. We're going to make sure that we share everything uh, when we when we publish like your episode. So anyone listening there, you can go to our website, and all the links will be will be will be there. Kurt, uh, I guess that's it. I won't hold you any longer. I thank yeah. you very much for your time. Uh, it was a well, great the time. Chat. The time flew by. Exactly. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate you reaching out. I appreciate you including AFB, and uh, you keep up the good work. Thank you for everything you do, man. All right. Uh, have Take a good, good care. one. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that concludes today's episode of the Broad Eye Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Of course, ratings and reviews are always welcome. And you can certainly share this episode with any of your colleagues or friends who might enjoy it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>